Well, good morning, Crossview. I'm really happy to be with you folks this morning. So if I'm in your place, I want to know something about who is trying to teach the Bible to me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about us, Brian and Donna. I was raised in a religious moral home in northwestern Wisconsin, Rice Lake and Frederick. I did not become a Christian in my childhood or youth. It wasn't until I was in a college dormitory as a hippie kid and a fellow student came down to my room, told me the story of his life and told me how to know Jesus personally. And then after a 15-month struggle with God, I trusted Jesus and gave him my life and I knew that my life was going to be an adventure, and I have not been disappointed. Donna is actually from the Holy Land, near Green Bay, (laughs) and uh, similar background, she moved to the Chicago area and had a few uh, miserable years looking for God in all the wrong places, and she ended up living with her sister in Stoughton, Wisconsin. And on a dark, cold October Saturday, she actually cried out, God, if you're there, help me. And that night, a couple of young guys from the Baptist youth group showed up at her doorstep. The older of the two shared the message of Christ with her, how she could know Christ personally. And then she said, well, what's it done for you? And he told his story in some length, some depth, not knowing that their backgrounds were incredibly similar. A few hours later, she trusted Jesus as her Savior. Eleven months later, they were married, and that's us. That's Brian and Donna, okay? So here we are. Uh, We had three pastorates in the Milwaukee area. In the spring of 2003, we learned about how you can use interim pastorates, the time between normal pastorates, to help churches that are unhealthy and unhappy get happy and holy and effective again. And we dove into that work with abandon. We sold our home and lots of stuff, and we hit the road, and we had seven interim pastorates in three states over 15 years with 11 moves, and we got tired. Last fall... I was able to begin my dream job, something I'd been thinking about for many years as the church leadership catalyst for the Free Church here in Wisconsin. They are allowing me to major on helping pastors become better at leadership so their churches can become better at making disciples of Jesus. And uh, it's just a joy to be doing that. In February, we moved to Wisconsin Rapids, about a mile from here. We love this church, and we will be joining it, So, provided they let us in. After this morning, they may change their minds, but I hope they do. So this is going to be our church. After the service, I'm going to be out there at that table that I'm pointing at back there. We have some places to sign up if you'd like to get the monthly newsletters from Donna and myself, if you'd like the newsletter from the Forest Lakes District. There's literature out there. There's one copy left of my book, Heaven Help Our Church, which is absolutely free for the first person to grab it if you just promise 
to read it, but mostly I'd like to meet you. So if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. So come and, come and say hi, okay? So great to be here. Like most couples who have been married for 44 years, we are a lot alike. I mean, we not only, start e- we not only finish each other's sentences, we start each other's sentences. You just kind of make one look and you know what the sentence is going to be, so why bother? It's very quiet that way, but in some ways we're still very, very different. So on our days off, we're typically out exploring our area, and since we're always moving, we always have a new area to explore, and uh, I'm very, very curious and bold about going places. If I see something interesting around the next band, I mean, I want to go see it real bad. So Donna feels differently. So to me, a no trespassing sign is an exciting invitation. Anybody else feel that way? Donna takes these things literally, but she's afraid I'm going to end up like one of these guys or even like this guy that we knew in Arizona. And she doesn't even want to hear about my teenage years before I became a Christian. So, kind of different. I guess you could say, put in it nicely, I love the exhilaration of going places where somebody doesn't want me to go. And that's why I think I find this passage so exciting. So if you're not there already, will you join me at Matthew 16? Matthew 16, and you can go ahead and find verse 13. It's page 871 in the Bibles that are in our chairs. And there's a place in the bulletin where you can put some notes if you'd like to do that. So here's the context. Jesus has been presenting himself to the Jewish nation. And at some point, they get kind of tired, and he takes the guys, his disciples, up north, as we still do. He gets them aside, and he says, so who, who are people saying that I am? And they give various answers, and then he kind of turns on them, and he says, but you... Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter answered, of course, and for once he gave a really good answer. It's in verse 16. Look at 16. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus loved that answer. So he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter. The name means a small rock. And on this rock, that Greek word means a big rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And then he talks about how he's giving them the keys of the kingdom of heaven by preaching the gospel. We're letting people into heaven. Now, there's some difficult things in that passage that I'll let your own pastors sort out for you in the future. The easy part here that for me is very exciting is that statement in verse 18, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus is picturing his church, his assembly, his followers going all over the world, proclaiming the good news about the forgiveness and favor of God by just believing in Him, 
And he's saying that as his followers will do this, that some who hear will believe, and in believing they are made into new people. They are rescued from the devil's kingdom and brought into God's kingdom. They are rescued from out behind the devil's gates and bars and walls and set free. And he's saying, this will not fail. My followers will storm the gates, and I will build my church in the process. I love to call this the great prediction. We talk about the great commission and the great commandments. This is the great prediction in which the church is pictured as a fighting force, a band of brothers. Here's an illustration from history. We celebrate July 4th. The French celebrate July 14th, Bastille Day. On that day in Paris, 1789, the people learned that the king had political prisoners in Bastille Prison, and they literally stormed the gates, ripped them down, and rescued the prisoners. Well, this is what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. Now, as a guy... I love this way of thinking about the church and its mission. It turns my crank. It's martial. It's militant. It's aggressive. It involves trespassing. Now, if you're a guy without a mission, here you go. You can't do better than this mission, right? Amen? If you're a young man looking for a mission, you can't do better than taking up this mission storming the gates of Hades. However, if you're a gal, or even a lot of guys probably, just are not, just not turned on by this picture of the church in motion at all. Now we know, we know that God designed the church to always be in motion, going towards non-Christians in love, just like that guy in my dorm came toward me or I came towards Donna on the streets of Stoughton. But maybe you don't like this kind of picture. So I want to give you a few others that you might want to latch on to instead that might feel right for you other than this warlike picture. So here's another one. Here's a picture of the church in motion. A loving family adopting special needs children. A loving family adopting special needs children. This sounds very contemporary, but it's actually an ancient biblical picture because the concept of adoption is one of the motifs that God chose to help us understand what he does when he makes us into a believer. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God knew what I would be like. He knew how bad I would be. He knew I would have more rough edges than a moon rock, and yet he chose me in eternity to be a part of his forever family. Wonderful. Here's how David put it in Psalm 68. He said, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. So here's a trend going on in the church today that I think is just beautiful, the adoption thing. 
Some of our churches today are just full of adopted kids from every country of every color and some of them handicapped, some of them special needs. It's a beautiful thing, right? Yes? And it's a beautiful picture of the church in motion. We can go out and find lonely, unloved, unlovely, unwanted people, tell them about the love of Christ and bring them into the family of God. The church up in my second hometown of Frederick has made a mission out of bringing lonely people into the family of God. So please, don't think of your coworkers, your neighbors, as the church's enemies, as ugly people, and maybe they are, but think of them as special needs children who need to be adopted and brought into the family of God. It's a beautiful picture of the church in motion. Here's another picture right out of the Bible. Let's try that again. There we go. A team of shepherds rescuing lost sheep. A team of shepherds, a big team, all the church's members, rescuing lost sheep. Now, we think of shepherds as male, but there are female shepherds in the Bible, such as Rachel, the wife of Jacob. So this is for gals as well as for guys. Male or female, it's a compassionate, gentle, beautiful picture. Look at Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we know that people are like sheep without a shepherd, guilty. They're without a shepherd because they've gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. And yet, he loves us and comes after us. Here's a passage that parallels the one that Chris read. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. Interesting that the average church today is about a hundred people. Did you know that? About a hundred people. And so here we are. It's really comfortable to be one of the 100 and hang out with the other 99. It's comfortable, it's safe, it's pleasant. And we have this temptation to just kind of put a sign out front or put a site on the web and say, well, you're welcome if you want to come here. And then we just stay here by ourselves. But God designed the church to be always in motion, going towards non-Christians in love. So the sheep out there, as you know, they're in some nasty places. They're doing some nasty things with nasty words coming out of their mouths, right? Your relatives, yeah, I've met them. But what a joy it is to see them transformed, to introduce them to the great shepherd, Jesus, and bring them into the fold. This is what a church can be. So don't look upon your neighbors, your co-workers as people who, they really ought to come to church. I mean, really. Look upon them as people that we ought to go to because they're never going to come to church on their own. Let's go find them. It's a great picture. Here's another one. 
Another picture of the church in motion, constantly going towards non-Christians in love. A life-saving station rescuing the perishing. I need to ask you, has anybody here, anybody here remember hearing the parable of the life-saving station? Anybody at all? Okay, I guess not, so I can tell it any way I want then. So this one's not in the Bible, but I'm sure Jesus loves this parables because he loves a good parable, and this is a good one. So before we had a U.S. Coast Guard, we had around the Great Lakes and up and down the Atlantic and Pacific seacoasts, life-saving stations. They were very much like volunteer fire departments, hardy brave, adventurous young men who would hear about a ship going down in a storm just not far from their home. They'd, they'd get the call on probably their old crank telephone and they'd call the next guy and they'd rush down to the life-saving station and off they would go. I had the privilege of standing in one of these on the shore of Lake Superior. Anybody here ever try to swim in Lake Superior? Okay. You don't get very far. I stood in one of these, a much plainer building than the ones in the pictures behind me. It was just a white wood frame boathouse, very plain. And you step in, and here's a boat of about 25 feet long. I think we call it a launch, sitting on these tracks, as in some other boathouses. And it's pointed right at Lake Superior. And these guys would rush down there, and I could see it in my mind's eye. They'd get their gear on, and they'd jump in the boat. And somebody would pull a lever that would open the doors, and somebody would start the crude gas engine in the middle of the launch. And somebody else would pull a lever, and off they'd go into Lake Superior. And of course they needed a warming house and here's where it becomes a parable. Of course you need a warming house to warm up and dry off after rescuing people from out there to bring these people into. And so they built this crude warming house and it, and it worked and then in my version of the parable their wives got involved. Smile, okay. So their wives got involved and they thought, we need some decent furniture in here and we need some carpets and we need some window treatments because ladies always think windows are sick and they need window treatments. And they made it nicer and they made it nicer and the guys just loved hanging out there and they hung out there more and more and more as the time went by. And, you know, maybe they brought some stuff to imbibe in, I don't know, but they hung out there and they got older and they got stiff and they got sore and there came a time when... They didn't go out to rescue anybody anymore. They just hung out in the warming house at the life-saving station. And so, over time, some young men from the area started a new life-saving station just a little bit up the coast. And then 30 years later, you can guess what happened. Same cycle. They weren't going out anymore, and up the coast a little bit, some other young men started a life-saving station until eventually the shore was just dotted with these things, and only the newest one was going out and rescuing anybody. And if you've been around the church a while, you know exactly where this is going. In many towns, we have a whole bunch of churches, and only the newest one is actually going out after lost people, right? And that makes you feel miserable, right? And I don't want to leave you there. So we're going to go to the last picture, which is kind of more attractive. We know that the church is supposed to be always in motion, going after non-Christians in love. 
Here's a great picture. A team of missionaries in love with their community. A team of missionaries in love with their community. So let's talk about love. Are you ready? Let's take the typical 16-year-old boy. Are there any 16-year-old boys here this morning? Raise your hand so I know how to avoid you after the service. Okay, if you're here and not raising your hand, you have my permission to beat me up after the service. It won't be difficult. But Okay, so typical 16-year-old boy. He's never done an unselfish thing in his life, right? He's never given lavish gifts to anybody. And then all of a sudden, he falls in love. He's in love. And he is doing all these amazing, kind, gracious, considerate, thoughtful things for at least one young lady. And he's giving her lavish gifts. And, and, and here's what gets his parents' attention. He starts taking showers and using deodorant. And they're shocked. They're amazed. But he's in love. Okay, now we talk about our missionaries. Missionaries, if you know any, you know that they're normal people. They're just like the rest of us. But they do remarkable things. They sell their homes. They give up their nice cars. They go to the other side of the world. They learn a different language. They eat different food. They listen to different music. They adapt themselves in love in many, many extraordinary ways. And of course, they're following the example of the Apostle Paul, who said in 1 Corinthians 9, paraphrased, he said, I will do anything except sin to win lost people. And he meant it. In Romans 9, paraphrased, he said, I would volunteer to go to hell if it meant my relatives going to heaven. And of course, Paul was just following the example of the Savior, Jesus, who left his comfort in heaven. He left his glory in heaven. He left his authority in heaven. He became what we would call a zygote or a conceptus, and then a, a helpless baby, grew up in poverty, in obscurity, and then eventually took the sins of the world upon himself for you and for me. No one has ever adapted himself in love like Jesus did. No one will ever go that far. But our missionaries follow his example. And then they come home on furlough. You know, that's visiting us back here in the middle of the years. And we see their presentations. It used to be slides, now it's videos. But we watch their presentations, and we see how they're living and where they're living, and they, we see the conditions, and we watch, and we you know, put a nice look on our faces, and inside we're praying, God, please don't send me there. Right? And then after the presentation, if, we're, if we dare, we get the missionary aside and we say, man, you must be so glad to be back home for a while. Whew, man, that looks so hard over there. I bet you're kind of dreading going back, aren't you? And then they knock our socks off by telling us something like, well, they're a little embarrassed to say it. Well, actually, I'm really missing it and I feel really uncomfortable here and home has become over there and I can't wait to get back to my people and we're amazed have you seen that 
So Ed Stetzer, who's the director of the Billy Graham Center for World Evangelization, I think it's called at Wheaton College, said, what we're seeing is that the missionary has fallen in love with his people. That's what we're seeing. He went over there and he fell in love. And it probably wasn't immediate. He didn't feel that way when he went there. But in the process of going and in the process of sacrificing and giving himself away and working hard and entering the worlds of these people and really getting to know them, they fall in love. So years ago, we had a foster baby for two years. I don't recommend this. For two years. And he was a normal, messy baby. You know, babies. Towards the end of that two years, the clock was ticking away. And we knew we were going to have to give him back. And night after night, I'd get him ready for bed with tears in my eyes. And I sang this version of a popular song at the time. Some of you know it, I'm sure. My version was, How am I supposed to live without you? After I've been changing you so long. You know that song? You fall in love. You fall in love. And that makes it easy. So Stetzer goes on to say that great pastors are pastors who are not in love with some idealized image of what the church should be in their heads. They're in love with their own communities. They fall in love with their communities. So Donna and I were looking for a house to buy, and we were looking at Stevens Point, and we were looking at Wausau, and we were looking at Wisconsin Rapids, and back to Stevens Point, and back to Wausau, and back to Wisconsin Rapids. And we kept hearing all these bad things about Wisconsin Rapids. Are you amused? No, you're not amused. Okay. Bad things. And I got together, I remember, for the first time with Pastor Dan over a long coffee. And I, I wasn't sure if I should do this, but I shared with him all these bad things we were hearing. And he said, we love Wisconsin Rapids. This is a great place to live. Now, there's a man in love with his community. And we can do the same if we will do the things that missionaries do on here it says they go, they give themselves away, they adapt themselves, they enter the worlds of those they serve, they get to know people well, they work hard. If we will do what missionaries do, we will fall in love with the people right here, and love will make it easy. So, pictures of the church in motion, I love them. Do you have a favorite? I want to show them to you again. And... Uh, See if you can identify your favorite. A band of brothers storming the gates of Hades. I'm tempted to have you raise your hands if that's your favorite. How about a loving family adopting special needs children? A team of shepherds rescuing lost sheep. A life-saving station rescuing the perishing. Or maybe a team of missionaries in love with their community. They add up to one big wonderful truth. Joyful. These people look just like us, right? Joyful, exciting, love-struck churches exist to make Christ followers in their own communities. Joyful, exciting, love-struck churches 
exist to make Christ followers in their own communities. They are in motion. They are in motion, always going in love to their own communities. It is good to ask ourselves over and over again, what's our church for? What's our church for? Who is our church for? Is it for us or the people who aren't here yet? I think we know the answer. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Will you latch on to one of these pictures and kind of make it your own? Adopt one of these pictures? And then pray for and go to non-believers around you. Ask God to put a name. We're going to do that in a minute. To put a name, a face on your heart. And then join this church if you haven't already. Serve in its mission. Find a way to become a part of the mission as it goes after its own community. Do what missionaries do, and you'll fall in love. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you'd take one of these pictures and burn it into our hearts and make it our own. Father, we pray that you'd give us a name and a face of some not yet Christ follower whom you want us to move towards, to go towards, to go after in love. We'll wait on you for that right now. Father, will you show us if we need to get going and, and join this church, which is a mission in its community? Show us how to serve in it. Give us grace and joy as we do what missionaries do and fall in love. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.